Support for Think Humanities is brought to you by the Spalding University School of Creative and Professional Writing. Think Humanities, a podcast for people who love history, philosophy, culture, literature, civic dialogue, and the arts. Think Humanities from Kentucky Humanities, where we have been telling Kentucky's story for 50 years. Here's your host, Bill Goodman. Today on the podcast, Bobby Ann Mason's Dear Ann and information about Kentucky Humanities 2022 Kentucky Reads Program. The Kentucky Reads Program invites any nonprofit organization in Kentucky to host the program, including libraries, historical societies, churches, prisons, veterans groups, museums, book clubs, and many others. The programs will be awarded on a first-come, first-served basis and must take place between February 1st, 2022 and December 31st, 2022. The Kentucky Reads program offers you a, a real opportunity to have a discussion about Dear Ann, Bobby Ann Mason's books. Books are provided. A discussion guide is also included and a lot more. On our website, kyhumanities.org, you can find all the information, plus a brief write-up on the novel and Bobby Ann's life as a writer. She was raised on a dairy farm in western Kentucky, has a Ph.D. from the University of Connecticut. There's also praise for her other work, uh, her writing of Shiloh and other stories, a claim for novels In Country and Clear Springs. Our conversation with Bobby Ann Mason about Dear Ann was recorded in October of 2020. Welcome, Bobby Ann. Well, thank you. I'm glad to be here. Let's just jump right into your very latest. Uh, Hasn't been out that long, but tell us about Dear Ann. Dear Ann, um, Dear Ann, uh, with the bluebird on the cover. Um, it's a love story um, set in wartime, uh, the Vietnam War. It's in, it takes place in 1966-67 mostly. Um, and um, it's, um, it um, is about a graduate student uh, who um, imagines a life, an alternate life for herself. <clears throat> Actually, Anne is um, remembering this from 2017, 50 years later, and she's uh, wondering what would have happened to her if she had gone to Stanford University, as was recommended, um, at, instead of a small school on the East Coast. And so, um, there's an opportunity for her to imagine that a, a love story would have turned out differently. <clears throat> so she starts thinking back and imagining herself at Stanford University. You have written about uh, Vietnam before. In, in country, um, yes, about um, um, a teenager whose father had died in the war. And she's coming of age and wanting to know more about him. And returning to not only Vietnam, but to uh, the 60s, which you know a little bit about. Um, I was when, there. <laughs> yeah, and, and me too. And that's what makes this uh, so interesting and, and, and such a, 
a lovely novel for, uh, dare I say, for all readers, but for boomers, for uh, people of a certain generation. Uh, it recalls so uh, many of uh, what? Iconic uh, figures that we knew of, of music, of art, of what was going on at that, at that time. In fact, uh, 1968 is, is prominent uh, in the novel. And right now we both know that uh, there is a, a new Netflix drama out uh, on uh, the Chicago 7, which oh, right. we remember well. And when I mention that to younger people, they stare at me and with a question, uh, who Hoffman, you're talking about Abby Hoffman, who, who could that be? So uh, it's a good, it, it's a good nostalgic uh, read, uh, a wonderful story for, I think, uh, uh, people, again, uh, I think all, all readers, but of, well, um, of people of our, our generation. Well, someone just told me that he read it and he identified with all of Anne's uh, confusion and insecurity and the intensity um, that young people were feeling at that time. And he said, of course, my time was 1996 to 99. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, um, I'm, I'm glad that he, um, and as you know, too, students uh, today are are going through some of the same problems that we did uh, in the 60s. I mean, it's just... Uh, well, yeah, um, I wanted to write about the 60s without relying on the cliches about it. Uh, even those students who have never heard of Abby Hoffman probably have heard of uh, plenty of the cliches from the 60s and the dominant music. Um, but I wanted to write about what it was like to be a young person then. What um, I wanted to write about the innocence and um, the idealism and just what it was like day to day, because I feel that most of them were really on a quest to find themselves and to find um, a person they could share their lives with. And um, those are such basic things that occur regardless of all those cliches that are remembered. And um, so I'd, I'm not sure I've ever read anything from the six, about the 60s, any fiction that really uh, goes into what it was like to be a student. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, how long have you desired to write about the 60s? Or how long have you thought of um, what is in the novel from the standpoint of of the music and of the, the, the personalities or basing some of your characters on uh, either national figures at the time or someone that you admired. Of course, you're the professor that you have a relationship with. I, I would imagine a relationship as far as writing is concerned uh, is someone that possibly is based on somebody in your life. Um, maybe a springboard, but the character turns out to be very different and to have a function in, in uh, a different function in the story. Um, and, and as far as that's concerned, um, you could say it's a little autobiographical in that I 
I was there. I remember so many of the details I put in the novel, but at the same time, I have fashioned it into something different. Um, and um, uh, for example, um, I I myself had the question: What if I'd gone to Stanford instead of <clears throat> Harper College? And um, because I knew so many people who went to Stanford, and that could have been a choice for me, possibly. So I always wondered that. So I set up that question for Anne in the novel. And I thought I would write about her as if she'd gone to Stanford. But I had never seen the campus myself, so I didn't know much about it. And as it happened, I didn't get to go do research and find out for myself what it was like. So I had to um, um, just study maps and, and keep a log of the weather in Palo Alto. And uh, uh, so it... Um, so I was inventing uh, Stanford, and that's Anne's goal, to invent Stanford. And so it, it turns out that uh, the trajectory of the story is that she is trying to invent Stanford in her life. And she succeeds much better in creating the world of Stanford than she does in, in revising her memories. She can't imagine a different um, story to her life. And that's what she'd set out to do, but she she can't. So um, the elements of the story uh, and the way you, you build it from serious boyfriend to uh, Keats and Shelley classes, or as Jimmy uh, called it, Kelly in, in Sheets. Hell yeah. <laughs> um, uh, all of those things she's uh, she's imagining, and 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 you are you are placing her in in that environment. Is that correct? Well, uh, she's not imagining Jimmy or Keats and Shelley. She's imagining that they were at Stanford when they met, <laughs> and that they were in a seminar with. Um, Ivor Winters, who was just a critic, whose book she had. Um, <clears throat> and it uh, is inevitable. In fact, you've already mentioned that. Um, but expound on it, if you would, just a bit about uh, whether or not you are Anne in Dear Anne, the autobiographical part of um, of of this novel. Um, well. It's not uh, the the plot. The story is not my. It's not me. I think maybe her sensibility and her origins on uh, a farm in Kentucky are true to my own background, and and the the narrative is punctuated with letters from Anne's mother, and the source of that is my mother who is always in my fiction in some shape or form, usually her voice. And uh, even though um, uh, Mama's letters appear in the, the book, they weren't actually my mother's letters. I made up all these letters. So, you know, almost everything is fiction, and yet I drew it intuitively and, and uh, just out of my own emotional life. 
you did some research um, uh, on Stanford and uh, looking at pictures and um, you, you've you've done that before when you can't visit uh, you, you're doing the research. Did you do that for for the other themes in the book or the other uh, the other characters or the mention of uh, uh, are you still listening to Grateful Dead uh, music and uh, going back and in, in, in reading or, or or looking at at memorabilia from the 60s? Um, no, I didn't have to do that. I actually went to Palo Alto to see the Stanford campus about a year ago, and I had basically finished Dear Anne, but I was able to add a few details and to, to correct some things. And I'm glad I did because it was an astonishing place and I hadn't realized it was so big and that there were so many great trees. Mm. The, so I was able to fill out uh, Anne's imagined Stanford a bit. What did you learn um, from your your good friends, uh, Wendell and Ed and Gurney and others about uh, their time at Stanford? Well, um, it was something that was always in the background of my life um, that I... Uh, uh, heard uh, um, their stories about what it was like to be Stegner Fellows during that time. And I just uh, grew grew through the 60s and 70s knowing all about Ken Kesey and the, the, the bus and the Merry Pranksters and and um, all, of, all of that cast of characters. So that was just sort of um, something I heard about that helped to inspire um, my question, what if I had gone there? But I didn't have to do more research. You, you had done that really um, organically through your conversations yeah. and, and, and living some of that. Uh, uh, yeah. so, someone wrote, I'm sure with your approval, because it's in um, some of the material that... Um, is uh, was sent to me. Uh, I believe that's where I got this, or maybe it was on a website. Um, but a, a sentence um, that that I that struck me uh, that I thought kind of captured uh, Anne. And and speaking of her, uh, this person wrote a uh, quote: uh, the the novel how consideration of the road not taken of memory and imagination can illuminate and perhaps overtake our present. Um, I think that's on the book jacket, isn't it? Oh, you, know, you know, I don't, I don't even, I've got the book right here. I don't even know. I, I, this came from um, one of the, uh, one of the reviews. Um, I don't see it on the on the, but I'll, I'll keep looking at. It. So so, tell me what you think that that writer in describing uh, the book um, meant to you. How consideration of the road not taken of memory and imagination can illuminate and perhaps overtake our present. I don't know what to make of that. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know, I didn't think of it as a major theme, um, I just thought, well, what, 
what would she think about if she, what would it have been like? And so I just set her off. And, and it's important in the first of the book to understand why she's doing this. <laughs> um, and it starts out with Anne on a cruise ship in 2017. And something is causing her to want to escape into memory and to call upon her imagination to change it. Mm -hmm. I love what you wrote in the acknowledgments. Just because, mm -hmm. I mean, I just think that's that's such a beautiful uh, tribute to your, your close friends and what you learned from them and the letters that uh, th this uh, second paragraph, Gurney Norman, Gurney wrote me dazzling letters about hanging out on Perry Lane in Menlo Park with Ken Kesey and the Merry Pranksters. I got firsthand reports from the early 60s scene as it was happening. Uh, th that's... I think that shows a, a real bond and a real close kinship, friendship with with these uh, Kentucky writers, which you you are so close to and that you belong to. I, it it had to mean a lot just to recall all of that, and then and then to put it down in in such a a, a lovely volume. Oh well, thank you. Um, they 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 all met. Uh, mean a great deal to me, um, and um, I I think of it as a tribute, and I mean for it to be a source of inspiration for the story. They they had their stories about life on the West Coast uh, in the sixties, the early sixties, before the real stuff <clears throat> caught hold. Um, and you know, the, I didn't. I didn't live that. I heard about it, and it it was dazzling to the imagination, and it was just part of what I I I I knew, um, and and uh, even though my experience was very different. Well, I um, it's going to be a bestseller if it isn't already. And I just think it's such a, a tribute to uh, that time that again, uh, and I, I know it's probably unfair to, uh, to talk just generationally about this, but I just think for, for our generation, uh, it is a, uh, it's a love letter to uh, the sixties. At Spalding in, University's in way, low residency uh, MFA was, in creative writing, um, I think it's so important thrive that with people one -on -one and then faculty for in a younger people community. to understand Study what fiction, really went on in poetry, the 60s. So creative all baby boomers uh, for children and, and, and young and adults others, were writing for Gen TV, and screen and stage, millennials and stay at Louisville's uh, historic uh, Brown Hotel during week-long residencies. We'll be back with more of our conversation with Bobby and Mason right after this word from our good friends at Spalding University. Learn more at spalding.edu forward slash writing or email schoolofwriting at spalding.edu.
Bobby Ann, I know you must be terrifically proud of Patchwork. Patchwork, the anthology from the University Press of Kentucky. And yeah. that came out last year. Two years ago. Two years ago. Yeah. Um, and again, uh, on on the front cover, uh, a, a Bobby Ann Mason reader. It just seems this is full of pride. I can almost see your picture on the cover uh, with a big smile on your face uh, because of all that is contained in here. I mean, it's, uh, in, and I mean this in the kindest way, it's a textbook of uh, great writing and of writing that, that you produced. Uh, again, you must be so proud of it. Tell me about Patchwork. Well, first of all, I adore the cover. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, it's an amazing thing they did at the University Press. <clears throat> and I, I didn't want it to be like a patchwork quilt and be uh, sentimental or rustic or cute. I wanted it to be edgy <laughs> and striking. So uh, somehow they did that, and I, I'm amazed by it. I guess I chose pieces that I uh, am fond of in some way, <clears throat> Um, and uh, thought illustrated what I've done over the years. <laughs> a lot of it excerpts from novels to give you a taste of. Two things, uh, Bobby Ann. Um, I've always heard this story and I've repeated it um, maybe too often without checking with the, the source, you. Um, and that is when you started writing um, and you were in New York, you went for the big time. Uh, you weren't some co-ed that went to a Northeastern college and then came back home and, and did whatever teachers that, uh, I mean, uh, uh, students uh, that go to college away and then come back to, to, to their state. You went to, you went to the Big Apple, didn't you? Um, well, I could, I think you had two choices, can, um, the East Coast or the West Coast if you wanted to get out and go to the big time. So I would very naively um, just went to New York by myself and looked for a job. And so I worked on a movie magazine, movie and TV magazines. And this is the story that I've, um, that I've heard that you began to submit to various and sundry uh, literary magazines and and uh, a publicist and uh, trying to get your work out there, and that you uh, were rejected several times, um, and that you used to have a, a drawer full of rejections that you would just stuff full of uh, these rejection notices. Is that a is that true? No, you got it all wrong. <laughs> After college, I went to New York and worked for a year, and then I went to graduate school for about um, eight years. <laughs> and um, then I got a job teaching journalism for about eight years. And then I sent a story to the New Yorker, and I got uh, letters from Roger Angel, the fiction yes. editor. Yes. He rejected 19 stories. There were no rejection slips that I put in the drawer. 
he rejected 19 stories and bought the 20th one. Oh, my goodness. And, and 1979. And so I did not collect uh, rejection slips. I didn't submit fiction all those years. I didn't uh, write much fiction. Actually, I wrote two, two novels, practice. What were you sending to the New Yorker? Uh, stories, the first first stories, really, that I wrote. Uh, fiction or nonfiction? Fiction. Yeah. 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 Mm -hmm. And um, I understand um, you, you probably, he, he has just passed away. Is that correct? Or sometime, and there, there's a new collection of his work or? Oh, he had his hundredth birthday just recently. Oh, yeah. Okay. Maybe that's it then. Well, I'm glad that you corrected me on the story that I've been telling to, to writers and, and to young people about, mm. uh, I won't use the word rejected anymore, but the 19th and 20th, that, that's, that's interesting. So, so it, it wasn't like rejection. Each one was encouragement. And he was working with me, in effect, to um, <clears throat> um, give me some sense that I was a writer and that I could do it. And he would offer observations. Can you tell me about your relationship with George Saunders? Um, I, I don't, um, I met him last year, I think. Um, but before that, he had written this extraordinary uh, foreword or introduction to the, the book Patchwork. And uh, so, um, I don't know much to tell you. <laughs> so there, there wasn't, uh, I thought maybe you had met him uh, previously or um, somehow had, had gotten connected with him, but, but, but that was just the first time uh, that you had. Yeah. I think we had exchanged admiring emails over the years. And, and you, um, you like his writing, you love his style and, and you, oh, you've... yeah. He's he's uh, off the wall. Yeah, yeah. Um, are you always working on something? I heard you tell uh, our um, National Endowment for the Humanities Chair John Peaty uh, at the Southern Book Festival in Nashville in a virtual uh, conversation that uh, you you don't really you don't write from an outline. Uh, you don't necessarily. Um, your, your your craft takes you from you're you're not planning or thinking that far ahead. You're just sitting down and and putting it together as you go. Could you tell us a little bit about your writing life and how how all this comes together in such a such a work like Dear Anne? Uh, well, Dear Anne, I dabbled at for six years. It, it um, uh, I didn't have a lot of confidence in it. It had to build very slowly. Um, and, and so I was just writing it um, off by myself without a, a contract or anybody um, taking a special interest in it. Um, nor, and, and I haven't written anything since then. Um, normally, I just take a spark, a word, a, a group of words, a notion. Uh, Dear Anne was a long meandering path to get started. Um, I didn't know. I mean, it's, uh, it started with 
reading my mother's letters and um, uh, that I thought I'd make a book of her letters. And then I started to wonder, well, who's she writing to? And so it just grew from that. And then, then uh, um, it, it's mostly just jotting bits and pieces of, of words and details and wondering how they're going, where they're leading me. And uh, I thought up these characters, Anne and Jimmy. I was writing a few flash fictions. Mm. And I thought, well, I'll write an, a little novella made of flash fictions. But they got bigger in my imagination than that would hold. So it turned into a novel. Um, but usually I don't, I don't uh, have a theme. I, I, I'm working to discover what, what is this about? Where is it leading me? <laughs> uh, what is the surprise? So, Do you today enjoy thinking about the past and thinking about growing up uh, in Kentucky and being in your mother's kitchen and at her apron strings and smelling the aromas that um, some of us in rural Kentucky grew up with? Oh, I think I'm always thinking of the past and and putting together what it's all about and how it shapes up. I think finally your your life can be seen like a novel um, because it has a form, a beginning, a middle, and an end, and it has characters. And, and discovering the themes of your life is a great pleasure. You start to understand. Uh, why you did this or that, or uh, what, how you repeated yourself in various ways. Give us a, um, if you would, if you've got uh, the novel uh, close by, um, and I, I know that um, you're 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 fond of Jimmy uh, as as uh, a lead protagonist, a lead character, I guess. Um, and that section that you write, uh, I mentioned Kelly and Sheets um, on, on page 75. Yeah. Would you just read a little bit of that, please? Maybe to the, to the top of, uh, of the next page or, or whatever uh, would, would be just fine. Just give us a flavor of, uh, of their relationship. Okay. Um, she, she's been trying not to think of him. She's at Stanford University. And um, various things are happening that are not, uh, her life is going nowhere. She feels insecure. And then Jimmy appeared. And I have here a little passage in italics. He isn't supposed to be here. And so on. Um, but she thinks they're in California. <clears throat> it can be a different story. Okay. Jimmy sat across from Anne in the Kelly and Sheets class. That's what he called the seminar on the poetry of Keats and Shelley. That was probably an old joke, she thought later. Whenever she glanced up from her notebook, he was gazing across the oval table at her, but he lowered his eyes when she noticed him. Her heart did a butterfly caffeine flutter. He had long, shaggy hair like a poodle dog. 
Random ringlets framed his face. At the end of the class, he shoved his books into a green canvas bag and slung it over his shoulder before he moved in her direction. Which is your favorite, Kelly or Sheets, he asked. Keats, of course, she said. How can that be a question? She was trembling. Touche, he grinned. He had nice, even teeth. He was smoking a cigarette. They headed down the stairs. Where do you come from, he asked. I like your accent. Kentucky, can you hear my accent? Yeah, can you hear mine? Hmm, a little northern, Detroit. Chicago, he sucked in his cigarette and then blew little contrails out his nostrils. Tell me everything about yourself, he said. Everything? Sure. What was your first word? First tooth. Stuff from your baby book. Oh. <laughs> that's that's beautiful, uh, Bobby Ann. It really is. It's such a well. It's just it's just a wonderful work, and uh, we appreciate your time, and uh, we wish you the best with this and and whatever else you're going to work on next. Uh, and uh, thank you for taking the the time to be with us on Think Humanities. So let me just close by saying, Bobby Ann Mason, you are. Kentucky writing, and we honor you uh, for that. And thank you very much for being with us today. Oh, thank you so much. Um, I enjoyed being here. And so I hope everyone enjoys the book festival. Think Humanities is a podcast from Kentucky Humanities, where we have been telling Kentucky's story for 50 years. Think Humanities is available at kyhumanities.org, iTunes, and SoundCloud. Join us next week for a new episode of Think Humanities.